Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. By Riverside. Welcome back to episode 87 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. As we continue our road to Omaha here, uh, we have a bunch of fun episodes that we've been doing and including this one today. But as always, my name is Trevor Powers and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati, as well as our producer, Phoebe. So for this episode today, we have Jamie Plunkett who covers TCU Horn Frogs with 247 Sports. He's the host of the Frogs Insider podcast, and his Twitter is at Frog Preacher. Uh, he covers baseball, basketball, and football for, for the Horn Frogs. So, Jamie, the first thing I'm sure all of our listeners who follow sports at any capacity is, what's life like in Fort Worth, Texas right now being a TCU fan? Man, it's a good, it's a good time to be wearing purple. I'll tell you that. It has been quite the athletic year for the Horned Frogs going to the national championship in football, going reaching the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament for men's basketball, obviously baseball in the college world series, which we're going to talk about, but beyond the big three guys, men's tennis won an indoor national championship, reached the final four in the outdoor women's tennis won the NIT. We have rifle national runner up. We had equestrian national runner up. We had nine sports at TCU in the athletic department make the sweet 16 or better in their respective sports this calendar year. That's pretty, pretty awesome. And uh, so it's a good time to be a horn frog. That is incredible. Especially when you think about kind of the size of TCU, it's not one of the, the bigger schools, obviously, um, you know, coming from Texas, good athletics down there, but I mean, that is, that is fascinating. I didn't know that. Congratulations to all those programs. <laughs> I mean, that is that's a heck of a, a heater that that whole university's on. And um, let's kind of dive into to baseball a little bit. Obviously, um, you know, one of the things that we always kind of like to ask when we get beat writers on is, is kind of the vibe around the program, especially with, with Kirk Sarloos. He's in his second year. Um, and I'm just kind of curious, 
you know, what's the mindset been like, especially since the outset? You know, this hasn't been a team who's really been on this, you know, kind of war path the whole year or this path to Omaha. You know, we were talking before we started, they were kind of, you know, flirting with 500 in the middle of the year. And now they have just kind of rolled to Omaha. So what's kind of the mindset been and the vibe been around the program as a whole? You know, I think when you took a look at this roster back in the fall, uh, you saw the very clear amount of talent that they had, right? They've got a, a, a next month. He's going to be a first round pick in, in Braden Taylor. You had uh, West Virginia transfer Austin Davis coming in to help shore up the outfield. You had a kid from Kansas, Ryan Vanderhigh coming in to help shore up your starting rotation. You had another kid from in the big 12, Trey Richardson coming over from Baylor. So you had three of these big transfers coming from in conference that were going to shore up some of those things that you had lost in the off season with uh, a couple guys that had graduated and gotten drafted. You had an incredible freshman class coming in. Anthony Silva was a top 50 recruit for the 2022 class who decided to take his name out of the MLB draft and come to TCU. He's been an incredible addition. You had, Carson Bowen, who's been a revelation at catcher for TCU this year. And then freshman pitchers like Cole Klecker, Ben Abelt, Louis Rodriguez, some of these other guys that have just come in and just not blinked at the at the challenge of moving up from the high school level to to playing D1 baseball in a Power 5 conference. And so in the fall, you looked at this team on paper and you said, there's a lot of potential here. Yes, they're replacing some really key guys, but this could be a team that really made some hay. And then that just didn't, for whatever reason, bear out in February, March, and April. And they really struggled to put it all together. When the pitching was going, the hitting wasn't, and vice versa. The bullpen struggled at times. The defense struggled at times. They committed, I think, close to 32, 33 errors in their first 30 games, right? Mm. And so they really just kind of found themselves hitting a bunch of speed bumps right out of the gate in this season and ended up at about 23 and 20 right when April turned to May. And then... You know, we were talking about this before we started recording. It was like a switch flip for these guys. They started to look around the locker room, I think, and say, "We are, we are better than this." Uh, and and so for the last month and a half now, you've seen them playing to the to the peak of their abilities. Yeah, it's been extremely impressive, and obviously, especially you know, once the national lights turned on, you know, really in, in the tournament, how they've just kind of run through this. How much credit um, do you kind of think does does Coach Charlus, you know? deserve in this and obviously you know he's the man at the you know running the ship down there and and to have that turnaround you know he's a second in his only his second year I know he's been with the program since 2012 but you know to sit there and you know have all those issues and some of those self-inflicted problems especially when talent isn't the answer you know how impressive it has it been to see him kind of operate and how much credit does he deserve for this thing Oh, he, d- he deserves a tremendous amount of credit because I think one of the best things about him just as a person is how even keel he is. And so he never gets too high. He never gets too low. His message is always really consistent. You know, I was talking to Eli Nunez, he's used center fielder earlier today, and, and he kind of reiterated that. He says, you know, even when we were really struggling after that, I mean, they got swept bad by West Virginia near the end of April. They got run ruled in that Sunday game. That was a long very quiet flight back from Morgantown. And, you know, they, they kind of sat down, they had a team uh, players only meeting after that. But what they realized in that meeting was that they were reiterating to each other things that Kirk Sarlos had been telling them all year about how talented they are, about how they just need to keep keeping their heads down, focused, trust the process and the results will bear out in the end. Uh, And when they came together as a team and had that conversation realized that their head coach had been giving them that message all along. 
uh, that's when we started to see them, uh, their performance take a, take a nice turn for the better. Uh, beyond Kirk Sarlos, though, you got to give a ton of credit to TJ Bruce, the associate head coach. This is his first year here. He came from Nevada Reno, where he was the head coach for the last few years, really elevated that program, made them a Mountain West uh, kind of perennial contender in that conference. Uh, and he had a really hard job replacing a guy like Bill Moziello, who's the head coach at Ohio State. Now, Moziello had been here for as long as Kirk Sarlos. They were both assistants under Jim Schlossnagel. They both had interviews for the head coaching job, and Kirk got it. Bill stayed for another year to help with the transition uh, before he had the opportunity to go to Ohio State. And so you're you're not only just seeing Kirk Sarlos kind of coming into his own as a head coach in year two, but you were also replacing another kind of coaching legend within the program and, and Moziello. And TJ Bruce has done a tremendous job of coming in, building the relationships that he needed to build, not only with the freshman, but with some of the older guys too, uh, and installing his brand of offense that is a little bit more varied than we've seen uh, from TCU years in the past. And so uh, I think both of those guys together, along with the rest of the coaching staff, deserve a a tremendous amount of credit for getting these guys aligned and letting their talent bear out on the field. Yeah, and and you mentioned Coach Schlossnagel, and obviously he is an absolute legend um, across college baseball and in the coaching industry. How was that transition? Obviously, it didn't come right away. Um, the success to Coach Slossnagel came in year one. They took that Texas A&M team to Omaha, but it wasn't as smooth, and almost it took until the midway point of this year for it to finally click. How was that transition away from him? I'm sure some guys followed him in the portal. Some guys were coming in in the portal. Just a ton of transition in college athletics now when you have a coach changeover. So how was that switching over from – just a legend to to obviously Sarlos. Uh, yeah, it was it was actually a pretty smooth smooth one. You know, like you guys mentioned, Kirk had been here for for a long time prior, and so he and he was the recruiting coordinator under Schloss. So he had built really good relationships with all of these kids already. He was a p- pitching coach as well, so all of the arms really knew him and, and respected him. Uh, and so I think that's part of the reason why when he was named head coach, you, you I think you only saw one guy hit the portal that offseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was really able to bring a lot of stability to the program that might not have been there had had they gone with uh, an outside candidate. And so you know, getting him in, allowing that stability to, to exist, and then letting him build off of this incredible foundation that Jim Schlossnagel put together over his 20-year career at TCU. I mean, they're, they've, they've still got the same words on the wall. Uh, in, in the classroom, right? Uh, selfless excellence, energy, right? That's still kind of the three pillars of TCU baseball. He, he's reiterated a lot of the stuff that Schlossnagel reiterated over his 20 years there, but he's also brought his own kind of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, California brand to it, right? I mean, he's a Cali guy. He's a Fullerton guy. He's got a little bit of flair and a little bit of a different way about of going about things. And so I think that's why we're seeing the success in year two, where it's it's really starting to to become Kirk Sarlos's program and it's not just, oh, he's Jim Schlossnagel's successor. No, this is TCU's, this is Kirk Sarlos's TCU baseball program. Yeah, that's awesome. And you speak about the building of the roster. And obviously, with him being the recruiting coordinator, that helps in continuing to build the roster. Kind of talk about, you mentioned before, and breaking news or not, I don't know, this is going to be out tomorrow. So I'm sure the news will be out. But Ben Hampton from West Virginia is another Big 12 transfer that's going to be coming to TCU to pitch for them. Talk about how this roster has been built. Obviously, you mentioned a couple guys in that lineup that were not originally commits from t- uh, to TCU, and they were across the Big 12. So how has he attacked the transfer portal era to build this roster? 
Yeah, that's a really great question. And I had the chance to talk to him about it yesterday, actually. He And he said, we're going to continue to be aggressive in the transfer portal. He said, you know, take it as it is. Take a look at it right now. It's not going anywhere. Uh, and so we might as well be aggressive in the portal. We might as well make sure that our roster is shored up every offseason by getting guys who can come in and contribute right away. I don't think that means that he's necessarily going to move away from high school recruiting. If you look at his commit lists for 24, 25, and 26, they're pretty healthy quality lists. Um, but they might get a little bit smaller as he as he starts to to supplement with the transfer portal a little bit more. Ben Hampton is a great ad. He's a lefty that knows the Big 12 really well. He's made 44 starts in three seasons in the Big 12. He's 17 and 11 in those 44 starts. He's you know a, a kid who's from the north and and has had to play a lot of indoor baseball in the in the fall and winter. So hopefully getting him down here in Texas uh, sometime in late July, early August, he'll, he'll be able to work out outdoors for a little bit more and get with TCU strength and conditioning coach, Zach Dakin and, and put a couple more miles an hour on that fastball. But you know, this is, this is the kind of guy that you can trust Kirk Sarlos to bring into the program, proven veterans who have a good track record, who he thinks he can improve upon, uh, what they've already done. And when you're talking about a pitcher, I mean, Kirk Sarlos is going to be one of the most attractive options for any pitcher in college baseball to come play for just because of his own track record in the majors and and what he's done since. You know, it's it's interesting because when you, you know, when you kind of start, I think one of the things when you're building, you know, these rosters and and you're, you're talking about now in the transfer portal age where you're getting guys of, of different age levels and different experiences throughout college baseball, you know, you're getting more of a melting pot sometimes than when you, you know, if you looked at programs in the past, when you're bringing all freshmen, they're all at the same spot when they're new on campus. They're all freshmen. They're all coming from high school. And sometimes it takes a minute for guys to kind of understand and find their role. So as they kind of turn this thing around, from your perspective, was there a turning point in the season that kind of was it that that team meeting after West Virginia that that got this thing going? Or was it maybe, you know, after Sunday against Texas, what was kind of the turning point that's allowed them to go on this? Was it just simply the talented guys that they had on the roster understanding the role and taking off? Or was there kind of a moment that you think kind of flipped that switch? You know, I think there were, there were a couple moments. I think the first one was after that plane ride back from West Virginia that I imagine probably was the most miserable plane ride any athlete has ever been on. Um, <laughs> they came back and they played a midweek game against DBU. They were trailing late in that game. They were down a couple runs. Uh, and then Carson Bowen, uh, who I mentioned earlier, true freshman catcher, comes out grand slam in the bottom of the eighth, puts them up. They win that game against a really good DBU opponent. Uh, and I think they kind of looked around at each other after that moment and said, we can do this. We, we've got the ability to, to put up runs. We've got the ability to beat good teams. We can do this. That didn't quite bear out as how they wanted to the following weekend because they lost the first two games to Texas. But, I mean, you look at May 1st on, that last game against Texas, I think they won by eight or nine runs, and they've won 19 out of 21 games since then. And so I think part of it was they just had to prove it to themselves. And Carson Bowen, a young kid stepping up in a big moment against a good opponent, helped them realize what they were capable of. And one of the things as I, I've watched this team, and, and I'm sure you can speak a lot more in detail, and, and I like to follow the draft side of things, so obviously Braden Taylor's the guy that everybody goes to, is it, as as it seems from the outside, it's as Braden Taylor goes, TCU goes offensively? Am I reading correctly into that? You are. I think it's less true this year than it has been in years past, simply because mm-hmm. there's more lineup depth when you talk about guys like Austin Davis and Trey Richardson getting Cole Fontenelle from McLennan was a big deal as well. But there's no doubt that when 
Braden started to hit better in early May, this team started to have more team success. Uh, I mean, he raised his batting average from May 1st to now, I believe it's 70 points, mm -hmm. right? And so, mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about a huge jump from hitting in the mid 260s to I think he's around like 320 right now. And uh, I mean, that's just when that's one of the huge reasons for their success, um, because once he started hitting well, you know, all right, well, now you're going to pitch Cole Fontenelle a little bit differently. Well, now you're going to pitch the guys in front of Braden Taylor a little bit differently. Uh, and so, you, you know, his success is absolutely, um, you know, part of the reason for, for TCU's team success. Um, and uh, But to only talk about his bat is to do Braden Taylor a disservice because I don't know if you guys have watched what he's done at third base this year for TCU, but he makes the most ridiculous plays look mundane. I mean, he had a play against Indiana State in, in Saturday night's game that sent them to Omaha where a ball was down the foul line, bounced over third base, and kind of kicked foul. He backhanded it, stepped off his back leg, threw it across the diamond, uh, laser rocket arm, beat the guy by three steps. And, you know, that was with a guy in, in scoring position with two outs and a two-run ball game. Uh, and so, I mean, defensively, what he's meant to this program over the last month and a half has been almost as important as what his bat has meant to this team, too. And from your perspective, a, a guy like that who gets that draft buzz, you know, sometimes, you know, everybody's different. But to be that rock and that leader is important, um, I think. And when you have your best player who can act like that, what do you what have you seen just from from watching them every day? His kind of leadership role within that locker room. Is he kind of the guy that everybody looks towards? He's definitely the lead by example guy. Um, I mean, his his. Uh, approach to the game his process is unimpeachable i mean he is there he's the first one there every day he's doing everything he's supposed to be doing he's taking coaching from the coaches as if he was a freshman right like he's doing all of the things that you want your leader to do from an example perspective vocal he's more quiet though i mean he is more reserved he's he's more of an introvert kind of guy he doesn't talk a lot but you know that when he does talk guys are going to listen and so i think when you think of Braden from a leadership perspective, part of what he was really important in helping out with was back in the fall when these freshmen were getting on campus, when some of these transfers were getting on campus, showing them the ropes like, hey, this is what this is what it means to play TCU baseball. This is what it means to be a TCU baseball player. Um, and since then, I don't think he's had to do much. I mean, this is a really good group of guys. They, they've kind of been able to 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 manage themselves from a vocal leadership perspective, though. I will say Curtis Byrne has been really critical to this thing. He's a guy who hasn't had the season that he's wanted to have. He got 52 games for TCU last year, uh, lost his spot to a true freshman this year, partially because of a back injury, partially because Carson was just hitting the ball really well and, and is an excellent defensive catcher. Um, but Curtis is an, another big reason for this turnaround too. I mean, you look at what he's done since May 1st to shore up the, def the designated hitter spot and, and the vocal leadership that he's provided to this thing, along with the example that Braden sets. I think those guys are a really good pairing for uh, you know, leading this team from a, from a locker room perspective. And this offense has really kind of gone bonkers as they've gotten into the <laughs> postseason. Obviously we all, everyone kind of remembers the one that jumped out was the, the Arkansas game where they hanged 20 on the number three overall national seed, um, which was just, you know, a ridiculous and kind of the statement really of the tournament, in my opinion, by, by them. And they haven't looked back obviously been, and kind of how this lineup's constructed, talk a little bit about how much Elijah Nunez means. Because, you know, for me, when I turned them on, you know, kind of all year, he was a guy that jumped off the page and just not only what he does, you know, defensively in, in center field, but also at the top of that order in the postseason, kind of being the party starter and the table setter. 
Yeah, he's been incredible for three years. He's one of the guys I'm most excited about seeing play in Omaha this year because he's been through the grind these last three years, and it hasn't always been easy for him. Uh, he's having one of his best years at the plate this year. The large, large amount of that credit goes to him, obviously, for his work that he's put in. Another, another chunk of that credit goes to TJ Bruce for, I think, unlocking a couple things for him about his approach. Um, but the, I mean, this, you're talking about a guy who stole 30 bases last year who just is an absolute threat on the base paths every time he gets on there. Uh, and I think once you gave him some running buddies like Austin Davis and Trey Richardson, uh, and even Cole Fontenelle, who stole stolen 20, 20 bags this year as our first baseman. Um, now he has, I think an even more aggressive mindset because he knows if I make a mistake on the bases, these guys have my back when they get on. Uh, and so, you know, you're seeing him push the ball opposite field more than he ever has before trying to extend to an extra bag a couple times a game. Um, and then when he gets on, you know, he's his mindset is to score when a ball is put in play. Uh, and he's as capable as anybody in the country of doing that. And just the pressure, you guys know, just the pressure that puts on yep. you as an opposing pitcher to have all of that running through the back of your mind in the top of the first inning or the bottom of the first inning if he draws a walk or gets a single or whatever. I mean, it's it's all downhill from there for for TCU. You, you mentioned the stolen bases, and that's something as as a guy who's uh, worked with a lot of hitters and a lot of offenses in the college game. Is that something that Coach Starlus and, and Coach Bruce have made a conscious effort to kind of play that kind of brand of baseball is to impact the game on the bases? Because right now they're sitting at 139 stolen bases and 160 attempts, which is pretty good. They got three guys with over 20 steals too. Yeah, that's, that's definitely um... – kind of left over from bill mosiello you know he loved being aggressive he loved to to try and, and create chaos on the bases um and so when tj bruce gets in he knows that that's kind of part of the dna of tcu baseball at this point and has been for the last decade he also looked around the room and realized the team speed that he had right i mean you're talking about eli and austin and trey are all sub six guys home to second and so i mean you're you're talking about some elite team speed from that perspective so why wouldn't you try to be more aggressive? Um, but I think one of the things that TJ Bruce offers that uh, maybe ha- hasn't been this, uh, the same as in the past is he's also willing to adjust to what the game is asking for. You know, you're talking about a team that put up 44 runs in three games in the Arkansas region. You're talking about a team that manufactured a run in the top of the ninth in that Friday night game against Indiana State to get one more run on a 4 to nothing lead. Uh, and they did it beautifully, right? Cole Fontenelle leads off of the double. Trey Richardson, who's coming off of a four-home run weekend, willing to execute a sacrifice bunt, gets that down perfectly, moves Cole to third. And then Curtis Byrne, who had a three-home run weekend in Arkansas, content to just put the ball in play, get it out to center field, sacrifice fly to score that run. Um, and that, that's, you know, things like that, you know, just the team's willingness to execute in big moments. TJ Bruce's willingness to be flexible with how he runs this offense. Uh, I think that's a, a big part of why we're seeing TCU have the success they're having right now. Yeah, and you talk about the adaptability there, right? Like Trey Richardson coming off a great re- weekend at Arkansas, which I do want to get into. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> the ability to lay down a sack bunt and the adaptability of an offense, you know, in a game today where we see so much dynamic power, whether it's the baseball, whether it's the bats, whatever it could be across college baseball, a lot of those teams do focus on the power aspect of the game. But the best offenses and the ones that can win on any day, any park, any situation are the ones that can go big fly when they need to when you're in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and the ball is flying like crazy. And then when you go to 
Omaha and the wind might be blowing in and we all know that the home runs don't play there as much, be able to steal the bases, be able to lay the bunt down. And that makes me even more confident as you speak through this, that this TCU team is going to go to Omaha and be able to put runs on the board the same way they've been putting runs on the board. But as I mentioned with Trey Richardson, he's kind of the epitome of that, right? He's sitting at 24 for 27 on stolen bases. So he's more known for his legs and that side of his game. But when he got hot in Fayetteville, he got hot and there wasn't anybody who was going to stop him. That was super impressive. So what's been cool about his, you know, kind of hot stretch that he's had making a name for himself wearing that number zero in purple? You know, I think the two of the biggest kind of talking points around Trey Richardson that TCU fans love to bring up is that he transferred in from Baylor, right? So arch rival. <laughs> He kind of he was on a program that was really struggling. They're going through a coaching change, all this other stuff, uh, and then he comes here and he's just thriving, right? So you love to see that first of all, poaching a guy from your rival and having him come in and have some individual success along with team success. The second thing about Trey Richardson is that he's just an incredible human being. He could sit down and talk to you for hours and not have a problem with it. Um, he was one of the first kids that is kind of a funny story. Uh, the company that I used to work for um, when I was doing beat writing full time. Uh, he was one of the first guys that TCU got in the transfer portal last off season. So I called him up. We had a conversation, started to, to publish some content about Trey. And then he let me know too. He's like, Hey, I'm going to be in, in Fort Worth starting in like mid June. Um, it's like, awesome. And so we're, we were up at our, uh, studio filming some content with some football players one day that had a, they had a podcast and they're like, our guest just canceled. Uh, and so I texted Trey and I was like, Hey man, I don't know if you're busy today. I don't know if you're even in town yet, but you know, these two football players could use uh, a guest for their podcast. If you're willing to come up to the studio and, and chat. And he was like, send me the Addy. He was there in 20 minutes. He rolled up. He did an hour and a half long podcast with these two guys that he had never met before just to sit and talk about being student athletes and what it means to, to, you know, go, go refine your craft at the college level. And, all of the ins and outs and intricacies of that. And I mean, he was just so comfortable in that That's space awesome. for, for not having met any of those people in person before. And that I think has helped him become a leader on this baseball team so quickly because he walked into the room day one and you're just kind of drawn to him. He's got this gravity about him. So to see him not only have those aspects of leadership and that kind of personality that that's just really cool, but to, to see him having the success that he's had on the field, not just in that, that um, Arkansas regional, but defensively all season, being one of those fire starters at the top of the order before he kind of he got moved down to that five spot to help you know, protect Cole Fontenelle a little bit. Um, I mean, you, you can't say enough about Trey Richardson, just how awesome of a human being he is. The fact that he's having the season that he's having and you know boosting his draft stock a little bit, uh, I mean, it couldn't have happened to a better guy. Isn't that the beauty? I don't know if there's even going to be a question in this, but it might be just be a, a run on thought by me. But isn't that the beautiful part about, you know, you know, team sports, but college sports, especially because at the end of the day, you know, I think I say this every time we talk about college sports, but they're kids. And, yeah. and you know, to have, you know, bringing in people like that to create that culture and, and just kind of hearing what you've said about Braden Taylor and, and now Trey Richardson kind of that it really is the DNA of this team is you have a bunch of um, really good people in that room who are all pulling on the, the, the rope in the same direction. And, and, you know, you hear that and it's like, well, no wonder this team is now on a run to Omaha and has a really good shot at, at making a lot of noise there. You know, it, just seeing that DNA and that kind of character, you know, it's kind of no surprise, right? Why they're, why they're able to do this. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it is a surprise. I think 
when you look at the the season in a, in a silo and you say, holy cow, this team was 23 and 20 at one point. Yeah, it's a little bit of a surprise that they're one of the last eight teams standing. But, you know, you think about TCU just long term as a program, too. This is their fifth trip to Omaha in the last nine years. Right. It's their sixth trip to Omaha in the last 13 years. And so this is a team that's made it to Omaha almost as often as they haven't. And uh, so that level of uh, success is also kind of ingrained in this program at this point. So it's not only a culture thing, it's a we've been there before kind of situation. And for the guys on this roster who hadn't been to Omaha yet in their careers at TCU, to be constantly reminded of the past success of the program on that outfield wall out in left field every day when they showed up to practice, the fact that they get to put one of those Omaha stickers up there now uh, and, and claim part of that legacy of the program uh, and potentially be the first team to deliver a ring to TCU uh, is a really cool kind of storyline from this year. Yeah, and another guy who you had mentioned earlier um, and kind of the, another one in the offense that I wanted to talk on and, and highlight a little more is Carson Bowen, you know, a guy who comes in and, um, you know, obviously takes that catching job and kind of runs with it. And then in the, in the regionals, um, he cooled off a little bit. I think he even had his first 0 for, 0 for in the tournament in that game that sent him to Omaha. But he's hitting 476 still. So he went 0 for in, in, in the fifth game, but he's still hitting 476 in the NCAA tournament. How massive has he been as an addition to that lineup? And, and kind of what have you seen from him that makes him such a dynamic and, and kind of scary player? You know, I think Carson is one of those kids who we got to talk to him yesterday uh, in our media huddle. And he's like so bright eyed and he's still 18 years old and it's like all still very new to him. And he's very much a freshman when you talk to him one on one uh, or, or in a, like that media kind of setting. But at the same time, this is a kid, a kid who's played on Team USA Baseball for like the last 10 years. He's played in front of 10,000 people down in Panama, right? Like he's had international crowds screaming and cussing at him and, and you know, he's, he's gone out there and done his thing. So I think that's helped him adjust to the college level a little bit because what you're seeing from 10 K in Panama is way different than what you're seeing from 10 K at Vaughn yeah. Walker up in Fayetteville. Yeah. And it's, it's way different than what you're going to be seeing from, from the 18,000 at Charles Schwab up in Omaha. So he came in and I think without even really realizing it was way more prepared for this level of ball than, than uh, anybody maybe expected him to be. Uh, the fact that he's hitting as well as he is this year is pretty much, uh, you know, kind of cherry on top because we knew what kind of defensive catcher he was coming in. He's flashed an incredible arm all year. He's got really good speed for a catcher too. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever watched him run out an, in, uh, an infield ground ball, but he, he makes it closer than you think yeah. <laughs> um, with, with, with the position that he plays in his build. But um, the fact that he's come in and, and been able to contribute like that as a true freshman on the field, on top of the fact that he's another kind of cut from Braden Taylor cloth accountability guy showing up to work the right way every single day, taking on more of a vocal leader position as well. I think he's learning that part from Curtis Byrne a little bit. Um, he's been a massive addition both on and off the field for, for TCU this year and is going to be the dude behind the plate for TCU for at least the next two years. Yeah, and, and it's so crazy because you mentioned obviously they started playing – a lot better baseball after that Sunday win against Texas and go on a 19 and two stretch down the run. He's got it. I mean, looking at his numbers, he raised his average from 318 all the way to 355 after that 0 for 4 against Indiana State. So that's super impressive for a kid who's a freshman. We talk about freshman walls year in and year out. And for him to, it looked like he hit a little freshman wall there in the middle of the year, but to make that, it, the game is 
adjust, readjust, right? You Mm -hmm. come up, people adjust to you, you have to adjust. And being able to kind of play that game and be able to make that adjustment for a freshman is super impressive. I mean, ton of multi-hit games since that game against Texas, um, which is super awesome since the beginning of May. But I'd be remiss if we didn't get get on the pitching side of things. And obviously, I'm assuming you can speak more in detail since that turnaround the pitching's probably been really good and keeping them within every game, no matter whether the offense shows up or not. Am I correct? Yeah, you absolutely are right. You know, I think this is when you talk about TCU from last year to this year, they lost, uh, I believe it's 67% of their innings pitched from last year to this year and about 72% of their starts from last year to this year. So you're replacing a ton of arms on that side of, of the team. And I think that was a huge reason for why this team was struggling in the first half of the year. When you think about fresh, true freshman pitcher Cole Klecker, he's the first true freshman in TCU's program to get to 10 wins since a guy named Matt Perk did it back in 2010, right? Uh, we've all heard of Matt Perk. And, um, you know, you've got another guy in Louis Rodriguez who was holding down another weekend rotation spot as a true freshman until he had his shoulder impingement before the Big 12 tournament. So he's unavailable. You bring in a veteran guy like Ryan Vanderhei from Kansas who knows the Big 12. You bring in guys like Stan Stoutenborough from Cal, who's been absolutely huge since he entered the rotation around that early May time as well, pitching deep into games. And then you've got a guy like Cam Brown who's been around the program for a couple of years, hard-throwing. He, he touches 97, 98 with his fastball. Um, once those guys figured out their roles – we started to see them perform better, which is not rocket science, right? When you have an established role, you understand what you're doing every t- every day you come to work. Uh, you're going to perform better in that role. When the weekend rotation got figured out in early May, when the bullpen roles got figured out in early May, that's when we started to see the pitching improve for this team. Uh, and that was absolutely a huge part of this run as well. Yeah, and, and, and that's awesome. And, and you know, pitching, they we always talk about it on here. There's nothing that'll lose you a baseball game more than walks, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing that'll lose your defense specifically more than not throwing strikes. On the whole, the staff doesn't miss a ton of bats, right? It's more of a pitch to contact, especially from their starters. Is that something that you've noticed? Obviously, Cole Klecker only has 69 strikeouts in 86 innings. He's had a lot more punch-outs in his starts in the postseason play. Um, but is that something that you've noticed at least? Because we talked about Braden Taylor's defense. We talked about all the guys offensively, their defense. It just seems to be a team game, and they're pitching a more contact, contact rather than uh, missing as many bats as some of these elite pitchers that we tend to see across college baseball. Yeah, that's, that's uh, I think, a Kirk Sarlo strategy. You know, I mean, you think about the kind of pitcher Kirk was – uh, for the Astros and the Yankees and and uh, the Reds and whoever else he played for the Angels, um, he was an eighty six to eighty nine mile an hour fastball guy, and so he understood what it meant to not have overpowering, uh, you know, miles per hour on your stuff. But he also understood what it meant to fill up the zone with strikes, to attack hitters with the stuff that he did have, and he made a, a decade long pro career out of it. And so I think for him, when he's recruiting, he's almost looking for guys who fit that same mold. We talked about Ben Hampton earlier. His, his fastball sits about 86 to 89 as well. They're hoping he can add maybe one or two miles an hour to it, but Cole Klecker's fastball sits low 90s. Sam Stoutenborough sits low 90s. Uh, a bunch of these relievers maybe get up to 93, 94. You know, uh, Cam Brown's really the only guy on the roster that gets up to 96, 97 with his fastball. Kirk values control more than he values power. And so 
that's why I think you're seeing this pitching staff look the way it does this year is because they are all kind of built to pitch to contact. They're all built to fill up that strike zone. Uh, have they walked more guys than he's wanted them to this year? Yeah. Has he, have they hit more guys than he's wanted them to this year? Yeah, sure. But most of them are also freshmen, right? And so you've got a bunch of young arms who have some really good talent, have are already, you know, two, three pitches deep in their arsenal as, as 18 year olds who he's going to be able to mold and shape over the next couple of years to become really elite college pitchers. I think the results are bearing out a little bit earlier than maybe even he expected to with guys like Klecker. But um, I mean, he's not going to, he's not going to complain about it. Yeah. You know, to me, it's so hard with, with pitching staffs, especially because, you know, in, in an age of the data and the power and how we, we've, you know, been able to start training guys, right? Everyone's chasing the elite velocity because, you know, it, it, it widens your margin for error. And that's always a mm-hmm. good thing when you're doing something as hard as pitching. But, you know, I think as a coach, being able to understand what you can coach best and go get those guys who fit that bill. I mean, that's, you know, typically the best way towards success. And so watching it kind of come together, I think you're seeing it now especially in this tournament. I mean, watching the start from even from Cam Brown, who struggled with the zone a little bit in that game against Arkansas early, especially that that got him to the Supers, you know, but he went out there and, and he still got the job done and you could see kind of the resiliency. But, you know, Cole Klecker is a freshman because you look at, at a team and a lot of times when a freshman leads the team in innings, he's either outstanding or there might be some concerns with that pitching staff. But now watching him in the postseason, I think he's got a 2-4-5 and right in two starts with 14 Ks. How impressive has it been to watch him specifically kind of, you know, on the stretch run of this season and into the postseason now? Yeah, you know, you, you keep bringing up all these guys and I keep feeling like I say the same thing about them all because it's almost like the coaching staff <laughs> recruits a specific kind of dude. Cole Klecker is another guy who just shows up every day, knows how to work it the right way and understands how he's going to get better at his craft. Um, but to watch him develop this year has been really fun because he's he's the opposite of Carson Bowen. If Carson Bowen's like the kind of wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, happy-to-be-here kind of guy, Cole Clicker's like, no, I'm here to work. <laughs> and and that's how he broke into the weekend rotation as a true freshman, and that's how he's found all the success that he's had later in this year is he understands where he's where he's capable of getting better, how he can work get work to get from point A to point B, and he also really understands how to command all three of the pitches that he's got. He's got just enough rise on that 92, 93 mile an hour fastball to keep hitters off balance. He's got a slider that will make you drop to your knees uh, swinging at that thing. And then he's got a changeup that's also like just good enough to, to mix in there every once in a while. Um, and so to watch him have the success that he's had against Arkansas and, and Indiana State, uh, or, or I guess Arizona is who he pitched against in, in the regional. But yeah. Um, um, it's been really fun to see him go out there and have the success that he's had, because if he can continue to build off of that and and perform well in Omaha, he's one of those kids that you could look at down the road and be like, wow, this is a three-year ace that TCU found out of Chandler, Arizona. Uh, And and what a pro career he's probably going to have. Yeah. And and you talk about coach Sarlos's recruiting philosophy on guys preferring control over, uh, over a little bit of power. And, you know, just in terms of understanding the recruiting world right now, there has to be a somewhat, I guess you could call it market inefficiency for valuing those guys, especially in a state like Texas, where there's probably guys that throw up or nineties that go to division one that feel like they fall off trees. 
to be able to go out of state and get a Cole Klecker who is more of a command over elite stuff guy, trust your development. You have one of the best strength and conditioning staffs in the country for baseball. He's one of the most highly regarded for a reason is super Mm -hmm. impressive. You think that's something that they've thought of as we can get guys that maybe the rest of the big 12, the Texas's, the, the Oklahoma's of the world might not want because they don't meet those measurables that some of the programs look for. Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you nailed it. I mean, Sam Stoutenborough, Ryan Vanderhei, Hunter Hodges out of the portal this year. Some of these freshmen that throw low nineties, like Cole Klecker and Louis Rodriguez. You know, I mean, you want to talk about guys falling off of trees throwing ninety five? Just go forty miles down the road to DBU. I mean, they're not mm-hmm. far from yep. TCU at all, and their whole ro- their whole bullpen feels like our dudes that are coming out there throwing ninety six and up. Uh, I mean, every time TCU played them this year, it's like, oh, this is a dude I've never heard of before. I know he's <laughs> going to throw 99, right? And, uh, you know, so you, you look at that and you say, okay, well, there has to be a reason that those guys are ending up at DBU and not TCU. Not necessarily because TCU is the better program or the elite school or whatever, but playing in the Big 12 versus playing the Conference USA is attractive and going to College World Series as frequently as TCU and the pitch that you can make and the community that you can make about the school and yada, yada, yada going to football, everything, right? The sales pitch for TCU is vastly different than it is for DBU, but those guys end up at DBU. I think that there's a little bit of a reason for that beyond just, oh, Hefner's really good at getting guys that bring the heat. Um, I think that part of that is a, a strategic thing on Kirk Sarlos, uh, on his part, to say, I'm going to get guys who are maybe, yeah, Trevor, there's a little bit of a market inefficiency for identifying their talent these days. Um, but I know that as a guy who's, done it before and as coached guys for the last decade that I'm going to be able to get the most out of them in, in key situations. So I think there's definitely something to that. And there's a huge beauty in being able to understand the player you develop best. We see so many coaches, whether they make the transition from a pitching coach to a head coach like Coach Sarlos or a mid-major to a Power 5 program that want to change what they did that made them successful. And Coach Sarlos being able to understand, especially in year two, this is not a guy who is 15 years into his head coaching career, be able to know like, no, these are the guys that I trust myself in development. You see it a lot on the offensive side of the ball. There's coaches that think they can develop contact ability for guys that can hit for power and vice versa. For him to be able to do that consistently is super impressive. And that that explains why this team is playing their best baseball in year two at the most important part of the year. Uh, So it's super impressive and, and definitely very interesting to think about. But Obviously, the most important part here, and and obviously why we specifically got you on to talk TCU baseball, is the trip to Omaha. Uh, So it's been a wild run here. They're undefeated in postseason play, as Dan mentioned, through the Big 12 play, through the Arkansas Regional, through the Super Regional against Indiana State. Now they're going to be challenged again. Um, But you look at the way they're playing baseball right now, what are your kind of expectations as this team goes into Omaha with an opening matchup against Oral Roberts on Friday? You know, I, I, I think expectations have shifted so much for TCU people this year because you had a ton of preseason expectations after the way last season ended against your former head coach down in College Station. Uh, you know, there, were, there, were, there was a lot of you know, frustration, I think, with that in the program. To say not only did we not make it out of a regional, but we lost to, to Schloss. That that's tough. 
um, to have the off season that they did to bring in the portal guys that they did have the fall that they did where they were, you know, okay, well this is going to be a, a program that that's really good. Omaha can be an expectation for this year. Then mid April, you're sitting at 23 and 20. You're like, okay, maybe Omaha is not the expectation. Maybe the playoffs aren't even the expectation this year. So when you think about the kind of roller coaster ride that it has been for this team, I think getting through a super and getting to this point is, is a successful season. Um, now going into this first game against Oral Roberts, I know that the baseball team doesn't necessarily think that they've had a successful season yet, right? They've still got more work to do. They've still got a box to check as far as goals for this season goes. So, um, I love that they have that mentality and, um, you know, when you get to this point in the year, everybody's really good, right? Oral Roberts is a 51 win four seed team. (laughs) And, uh, that just doesn't happen hardly ever. Uh, they've got a bunch of dudes on that team that can really play ball. They've got a former TCU frog that's playing ball on that team right now as well, that I think some guys are pretty excited to go up there and see, uh, in, in somewhere in middle America, you know? And so, um, I think when you look at TCU's side of the bracket with Florida and Virginia and Oral Roberts, with the way that they're pitching right now, with the way that they're hitting right now, the fact that Lupton plays a lot like uh, Schwab Field does, where it's more of a pitcher's park, you've got to really kind of work to get some runs across. Uh, it's okay to pitch to contact there. Um, I think TCU this year is is a, in, a, in really good shape right now to make a run to that final weekend and, and to get out of this bracket. Obviously, some bounces have to go your way at this point. They've gone TCU's way for the last month and month plus. Um, but normally when you're confident and you're playing your best baseball, you know, fate will kind of play into your favor a little bit there. And, and it really does feel like TCU's that kind of team right now. This, this might not be a very good question, but it might grab some headlines. Does, just the, with the way this team's been playing for the last month and a half, does it almost feel like they're destined to kind of win this, win it all? <laughs> Uh, it can feel that way, but I think you could probably say the same thing about Oral Roberts, right? You yeah. could say after the way that Stanford Texas game ended the other night, you could probably say the same thing about Stanford too. Like, oh man, that that was a very God breathed win for Dylan Campbell <laughs> to miss a, a fly ball in right field. Um, you know, you could say the same thing about Wake with how their pitching has performed in that tiny little matchbox of a stadium that they play <laughs> in, right? Like Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz. I mean, come on, who wouldn't be putting money on LSU at this point? So. It's kind of like I said, like every team feels like they could win this thing this year. Um, to people in Fort Worth, yeah, TCU does feel like the team of destiny. Like we talked about off the top, this has felt a lot like TCU's year all year. Uh, and now it's time for one of these teams to bring home a dang championship. You know, I just got to mention that I think every college baseball uh, contributor or coach we've talked to this year that we've brought up Wake has mentioned how small that ballpark is. <laughs> 300 to right. It's I know. 300 it's feet. Cra- I could crazy. hit a home run. Yeah. I mean, I, and, I could and hit I, homers in that part. I tell you what, I went down to uh, Conway and saw Coastal play Southern Miss this year, and that was the first time I'd mm-hmm. been there. That place isn't very big either. I no, was it's like, not. Some of these ballparks, Look, man. Like- these, East, these East Coast teams have got it figured out. Like they point <laughs> yeah. their shit to the ocean, and then they're like, "Just go." Yes. Like we're good. Yeah, yeah you're not. Sorry, wrong. I don't know if I can cuss on this thing, but yeah, I, I might. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so I, I guess then, what are some of the outside of just how loaded this tournament feels? And like you, you kind of hit all those major storylines there, right? With the town on LSU, how good Wake's been all year. You know, Florida's obviously a power. Virginia's got the name. And then the stories of kind of Oral Roberts and, and TCU. 
What are some of the roadblocks that you see for this team? Is it just something like some of the issues from the regular season, like defense or not throwing enough strikes that could trip them up? Yeah, I think I think when you look at at where this team struggled when they were kind of at their lowest points, pitcher starters weren't going deep into games. Uh, the command wasn't always there, um, and and if they kind of fall back into that pattern, that's it's going to be a pretty short trip to Omaha um, because you cannot go into a weekend like this against the bats that they're going to be going up against and walk guys, give people free outs. You just can't do that stuff here. You have to execute at a high level. And when you're a team that's had your back against the wall for as long as TCU has, it can get exhausting, right? I mean, when you always feel like you're in fight or flight, like this is make or like win or go home, uh, you can get worn down by that. And the fact that they haven't gotten worn down yet is pretty impressive, but it also feels like, okay, well, maybe it's coming this week. Maybe it's coming this week. Maybe it's coming this week. Um, hopefully not. And I don't think that those guys have any of those doubts in the back of their head right now. They're just going out and doing what they've been doing for the last month. But, you know, I think when, if, if we talk about the possibility of things kind of breaking down and coming to a halt, it would start with pitching. Um, I think the bats are pretty resilient. Uh, you know, you've got top to bottom, really talented guys in that lineup that can that can contribute when other guys aren't. You know, you, you look at the super regional one, two, and three in TCU's lineup over those two games against Indiana State when a combined one for 20. And and they still led pretty comfortably in game one, managed to put up a five spot in the bottom of the fourth inning in game two to kind of get ahead in that game. Uh, and then obviously Cole Fontenelle does his thing with another home run later in that game to, to give them a little bit more of a lead. And so, you know, you, you look at that lineup and you say, this is a lineup that can produce against really good pitching. Can the pitching for TCU hold up? I think that is the big question. That's awesome. So I'll give you a, a, a little bit more of a, a positive spin on it rather than the what it. could go wrong. You bleed purple. You're a two-time TCU graduate. When you started to see these Super Regionals un, unfold and you saw that TCU's on the right side of the bracket and you look over to the left side of the bracket, did you feel blessed in any way? Oh my gosh, God is smiling down on TCU. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Missing Wake and LSU? Are you serious right now? That is huge. And look, that's not a, that's no disrespect to Florida or Virginia or Ola Roberts either because like I said, if you're at this point in the season, you're you're really, really talented. But there are very significant deficiencies, I think, to Virginia, Florida, and Oral Roberts that you just haven't seen from Wake or LSU this year, Tennessee, when they're on, you know, I mean, we're talking about a team that was the overall one seed just a year ago, right? Vitello's got that thing absolutely rolling with former frog associate head coach, Josh Elander by his side, by the way, Vitello was an assistant coach at TCU for a few mm -hmm. years. Josh Elander graduated and played ball at TCU. So awesome. you know, if Tennessee wins it all, that's kind of like the Horn Frogs winning it, I guess, but <laughs> you know, and then you've got Stanford who's also just, you know, blessed by the hand of God with how that thing ended in, in, California. Yeah. And so I, I yes, you you do kind of look at the at the bracket that TCU's in and say, Wake's not in it, LSU's not in it. It does feel like an easier bracket. Um the pitching depth isn't quite there for for Florida in the bullpen. Virginia's had some arm issues in the bullpen this year as well. Um the bats around some of their really good bats have been hit or miss at times. Um but again, that's really just kind of picking at nits, right? Like these are really talented groups of guys who are going to go out and, and put on a show for the folks in Omaha. Um, but yeah, I, I think you could look at this bracket and say 
things things played out as well as they could for TCU. Now they've got to go out and do their part to get to the final weekend. Perfect. Yeah, this is a loaded field. Like I, mm-hmm. I was seeing a couple things on social media, like ten potential first round draft picks. Uh, you have the name brand programs. You have the fun, you know, story of the Oral Roberts. You have the top seed, who's been a great story, and Wake, who's not your typical powerhouse. So, ton of storylines across the board. But if we're sitting here on June twenty fifth or twenty sixth, and the Horn Frogs are holding up the trophy, and Kirk Sarlos is getting handed that trophy, what? happen paint us that picture you know i think i think you got the best out of cole clecker i think you got the best out of sam stoutenborough which you've gotten uh, close to their best for the last month but i think really where you where you see tcu have success if they're going to make a run like that is with luke savage ben abelt cohen Beezer, garrett wright some of these big arms out of the bullpen that haven't had to be used a ton, frankly, lately. I mean, Garrett Wright pitched in one inning from the Big 12 tournament to the Super Regional, and he's the closer because that's how dominant TCU's offense has been. And so you you look at these high-pressure situations that you're going to find yourself in without a doubt this first weekend. Those guys need to come out and have big days. They, you can't have an off day in Omaha. So when you talk about TCU's success, I think the bullpen's going to be really critical to that. And then for the offense, I think it's just doing what they do. You know, they're a confident bunch right now. They're seeing the ball really well. Just see the ball, hit the ball, put it in play, let something happen, use your team speed, uh, and trust your arms to to go out there and and throw some zeros up on the board. Uh, and things are gonna things are gonna take care of themselves from there. Well, you know, I, you've definitely made me more excited to to continue to watch this run. That's for sure, and, and especially hearing some of the, you know, just some of the background on some of these guys. And, and they all, it sounds like such a great group. But what for some of our listeners who haven't had a chance to to tune in, who would you say is a player to kind of keep an eye on? You know, maybe an X factor for this week that's you know really important for them to to you know make a deeper run. Yeah, I mean, I think Trevor made it made it pretty clear earlier. Fifty five, right? Brayden Taylor. If the, if this team is going to have the success they want to have, he's going to have to have a good weekend. He didn't have a good weekend against Indiana State, and he acknowledged that earlier this week as well. Um, but he is. I mean, uh, I'm I'd be shocked if he made it past the first fifteen picks in in the draft next month. Um, he's a dude that has one of the smoothest, most pure swings I've ever seen from the left side of the plate. He's an elite glove defensively. Uh, and this team goes as he goes. So if Braden Taylor goes into Omaha with the mindset that, hey, we're here to win this thing, not just show up and have a good time, then I think TCU is going to make some noise. That's awesome. Well, we appreciate all the content and information you've given us. So uh, feel free to plug your social media, uh, plug uh, where you write on 24-7 sports and everything of that nature. So our listeners, if they want to follow you through Omaha and and beyond, football season is fun in Fort Worth now, too. Yes, it is. Uh, now that Sonny Dykes has the, the, that team rolling as well. So I'll plug your social channels for you. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Frog Preacher. Um, I think it's the best handle known to social media personally. At <laughs> I, agree, I agree. I <laughs> agree. Uh, and uh, thank you. And uh, you can see all my writing at uh, Horn Frog Blitz, which is part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm there uh, alongside uh, Jeremy Clark. We're the biggest TCU site out there for, for covering TCU athletics. So come be a part of it. 
Well, Jamie, we appreciate everything and we appreciate you taking the time to to come on the podcast. I'm sure our listeners enjoyed it. Uh, it was a ton of information. I know Dan and I enjoyed it, uh, just being able to pick your brain about really all TCU sports, quite frankly. We get our football content in off the air, uh, but baseball specifically as we've recorded, that was a lot of fun. And and we're going to be rooting on the Horn Frogs. The more you talk about those guys and obviously what Coach Sarlos is, has built, it's easy to root for them. Um, they're the fun story of of the season, and, and it's been great watching them play great ball. So, uh, But to our listeners, thank you for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, always hitting your feed at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends. But other than that, until next time, we'll see you guys on the next episode. We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. Routine Baseball offers the best athletic leisure options going. We're talking shirts, hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and any baseball style you could ask for. Perfect for all your events and activities this summer. You headed to a game, throw on a nice routine tee and a hat. How about a cookout? Throw on some routine shorts and sunglasses. You'll be super comfortable, no sweat, perfect fit. I just got fitted in my routine stuff, and it's all I want to wear, and it's all I will be wearing this summer, and you can too. All you have to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have, and you can receive 10% off your offer today. Again, all you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10% off your order today. Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe if you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know, maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL.